raw and what's real, like just something that's unbent, unmoved. Feral cat, the truth seer. <laughs> <laughs> the truth seer. Man, that makes me out to an oracle. That would be cool, though. Welcome to episode 012 for Rawness of Reality. I'm your host, Kevin Stalker. And in this episode, you have the opportunity to meet Roger Raphael Romero, other known as Feral Cat, a saxophone musician who plays in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But enough from me. Here's Roger Raphael Romero. How's everyone doing today? It's Kevin here with Roger Raphael Romero. Other yeah. known as Feral Cat. Am I right? Yeah, that's true. You, right. I like that you were like, all right, let me use the full name. I mean, Roger Romero is fine. Feral Cat is fine. All of it's fine. So we're just going to jump right into it. So what even made you pick up a saxophone in the first place? So I started off playing clarinet just mm -hmm. from when I was super young. That's like the first instrument they gave me. I really wanted to play the oboe, but it was just kind of like, I don't know. I had a few options, and then I picked the clarinet. And then in fifth grade, they moved me to bass clarinet. And then in sixth grade, one of my teachers threw a saxophone at me. Not like physically, <laughs> you know, like you don't throw instruments, kids. But gave me the saxophone, like a soprano saxophone, and was like, hey, you should try this out. I tried it out for about a week, and then I actually had to move from where I was. Mm -hmm. So from there, I just picked up a tenor the next year. I played wherever I moved to. I played clarinet in the full band and then picked up tenor to play in the jazz bands when I was in middle school. So you moved from fifth grade to sixth grade to a new community? Yeah, I was... What was that like being a kid moving after learning an instrument that you actually play often today? Mm -hmm. What was that like? Uh, I mean, moving, to be honest, the move didn't affect me that much just because I wasn't really a social kid to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time... I, I mean, I had my friends and whatever, and we didn't move very far. I moved from a suburb in New Jersey to another nicer suburb in New Jersey, mm -hmm. so which was about 10, 15 minutes away from the other one. Okay. So I still got to keep a lot of my friends uh, for a while until some of them just kind of like faded. And then we, I mean, the musical transition was actually nicer because I went to a better music program. Mm. So, Did you go to the next school because of the music program? Um, no, my, my parents wanted just a better school system in general, mm -hmm. and they found that moving there would do that. They were just like trying to do this level up kind of thing. Um, my parents are both immigrants from the Dominican Republic. So I was born in New York. Then by good fortune and by hard work, my parents got better jobs and like, uh, like higher degree. Well, my mom has a master's degree. My dad has a, an undergraduate degree. But they got to, like, just get degrees and, mm -hmm. and actually get decent jobs, and they're both citizens. So their jobs got better, and through the American dream, they were able to successfully move to a place where their kids could have a better life. So mm -hmm. I just, I got the lucky end of my parents' is like hard work. Okay. So I'm guessing you have older siblings then? No, I actually have two uh, younger ones. Two younger ones. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's cool. Uh, so then what... Had, what even made you venture off to Pittsburgh? Uh, I went to CMU. You went to CMU. So yeah. from Jersey, you found CMU, yeah. fell in love with CMU. Yeah, and okay. I had, um, I don't know if they do it the same way now, but I went to like those, 
it's not pre-college. It's like a, it was called a backpacker weekend or, or something like that. I forget. Celebration of diversity. Mm-hmm. It had a name. But it's essentially you go there when you're like still deciding on schools, your mm-hmm. senior year in high school, right? And you kind of look at the schools. Did and I did that for night? a couple. Yeah. I stayed for three nights. And so so from Jersey, you traveled to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. stayed three nights at CMU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the truth is I had a very different perception of CMU than what most people would. Because I went there and I straight up partied for three nights. Mm-hmm. And it was like a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then by the time I actually got to the school, I'm like, wait, no one – no one's like going out on a Tuesday. <laughs> like, what do you mean we all have to study? Like, what? I didn't know that's what I went to school for. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just I had so much fun over that weekend, and I did a couple of other ones. I was thinking about Lehigh too, mm-hmm. and um, I went to that one, and that was like okay. I had some fun, and I saw a couple of people that I knew from high school who had gone to the school. But really, like coming to the CMU one, like meeting other kids that were similar to me which was really important, mm-hmm. like just similar backgrounds and, and similar like thought process of, oh, I'm a, you know, a smart kid, but I like to have fun, like was what drew me to CMU, and yeah. then I came. Do you, are you still connected with any of your friends from CMU today? Yes, but not necessarily in, like not as many friends that I made when I was a freshman, sophomore, yeah. or junior. Mm-hmm. Um, my first three years, because I was an engineering student, at CMU. Do you do engineering <coughs> now? No. <laughs> well, you uh, engineer music, right? Well, yeah, but it's okay. different. Like, different. Yeah. Okay. like, you know, an engineer for a recording session is not the same as a, you know, chemical engineer. Mm-hmm. It just has engineer in the name. <laughs> I had, like, friends that I had made through the engineering program, and, like, they were just my classmates, and for the first couple of years, I was, like, they were basically drinking buddies. Mm-hmm. We would go, like, study all day and night during the week and then, like, go hard on the weekends, like, very typical. And after about a year and a half, I was like, these guys are not necessarily the friends I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't really feel like I connected with them very well. And so I, I kept, like, or I felt, like, really lost at CMU for about two years until I found, well, maybe, like, a year then I found a couple of friends who were like artists and creatives, and mm-hmm. I started hanging out at the School of Music and then the School of Art, and like it started to make more sense to me, but I was still taking the engineering classes, so mm-hmm. I was kind of disconnected from both because I wasn't in the my friends' classes, but the people that I did see all the time, I wasn't really close with, and okay. by the time I got to be a senior... I just stopped doing as many engineering things. Mm-hmm. I still got the degree. I like finished actually in three and a half years technically with my engineering degree. Mm-hmm. But then that last semester, I started two bands, and my closest friends, friends that I can still consider friends today, that like I talk to all the time, were not necessarily musicians by trade, but they were all like we met either in studio, like at the CMU recording studio. Or we met in the CMU Jazz Orchestra, or we just met because there were a bunch of different music events connected to CMU that we were going to, mm-hmm. and that was kind of like the start of it. And you said you started two bands. What are these two bands, and are you still in them? No. No? Okay. So definitely not still in both of these bands. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> uh, it's not that. it was. There's no like bad blood okay, or anything okay. like that. Um, just there were... The first one, it was called Bergman. It was a sort of funk jazz crew that happened by accident 
Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine had a show that he booked that he couldn't play, but he decided to ask a few of his friends that were just in the jazz group to play it. I met these guys, and the band that they were opening for was one of my favorites of all time, and I'm like, that makes me mad. I want to be on this show. Mm-hmm. So I hit these friends up, and I'm like, hey, can I just play with you guys? And they're like, of course. That's and awesome. then we met another friend through the recording studio who is still like very heavily involved in the music scene. His name's Shane McLaughlin. He's uh, one of the lead or I guess the creative brains behind Buffalo Rose Um, and he came in as a guitarist and singer and we had a show three days later and then we're like oh I I mean we were pretty good for three days worth of playing together Mm -hmm. and we played like six songs so might as well create a band and we did that for about a year and but the other thing was East End Mile which was my like I co-led this with a friend of mine and the guy who runs the Attic Music Group, Caleb Lombardi. So we started this group as a sort of like jazz outlet for ourselves. We both wanted to play jazz, but it ended up turning like just whenever we added other members and, and different people were influencing the music, it just became like this like rock jazz fusion kind of thing that mm-hmm. we got to play at big shows. Like we played at Mr. Smalls a couple of times. We played at James street back when it existed. So we got to play on the same bills as, as some of like the rock and indie guys that were, yeah. that were really cool. You'll be at Mr. Smalls June 1st, right? I will be at Mr. Okay. Smalls June 1st. That's exciting, isn't it? Oh Coming yeah. Back? Okay. And I mean, before it was like as a part of a big festival. So we were just, or the couple of times that I played at Mr. Smalls, we'd either I played in the funhouse, I played in the cafe, but <clears throat> playing in the actual theater where like my name is the one that's on the poster that mm-hmm. hasn't happened before. Not yet so, until you know, June first. Until June first, mm-hmm. yeah. How are you feeling about that? What's that like? Uh, being you, being me, yeah. In your shoes, what's that like? I mean, it's incredibly exciting mm-hmm. because. <clears throat> I'm releasing music that is that like I wrote mm-hmm. like versus I've made music in collaboration. The last two bands that we were in, of course I was in the writing process. It was all like a collaborative work. And for this particular band, I wanted to just be the one who wrote, produced, like did everything for it mm-hmm. because I, I needed to make a statement with my music. And it's exciting. It's terrifying because I'm getting all these details through and there's some things that are happening last minute. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing most of this on my own. I mean, I have help for everything that I can't do. But as far as like, I am fortunate because I do have a lot of friends that help me out along the mm-hmm. way and we get to do a bunch of stuff together. But I like, for example, getting to do this with Starship Mantis, because we're both releasing a record that night, which is really mm-hmm. cool. And yeah, want. it's an album release. Yeah, so it's uh, an album okay. release for Starship Mantis, incredible local funk, jazz, jam beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and great style, <laughs> too. Great style. <laughs> yeah. Everything's really cool about them, and mm-hmm. they're awesome guys. And then my group's sort of this like prog rock, contemporary jazz, art rock fusion. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't want to call it jazz, and it's hard because no matter what, when someone sees a saxophone, they just think jazz. Yeah. But... I like I know the jazz police would be going woo 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 <laughs> that's not jazz. So for those who are heavily invested in jazz music as a as like a 
uh, piece and a staple of historic music. No, this is not jazz. For mm -hmm. anyone who's just used to listening to music and likes music but doesn't necessarily, isn't like this sort of crazy super fan of music, then yeah, it's probably going to sound jazzy to you because I'm, I play through a style that I know and a lot of it is influenced by jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if I answered your question. How do I feel? Nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said nervous? Yeah. Nervous, okay. but like more excited than anything. That's that's a pretty cool opportunity, too. Have you played with Starship Mantis mm -hmm. before? Actually, yeah. yeah. So, And that was recently, I think, right? Um, In the past like six or eight months? Uh, we played together back when James... So James Street, which was a great local venue... Closed down November of 2017, mm -hmm. and we, like my other or my old fusion band, East End Mile, got the opportunity to open for the last big show that they threw oh, okay. <laughs> before they closed down. Mm -hmm. So it was like the Friday before they closed down. They did have one more show on the Saturday, but the last big show was ours, and it sold out within like I don't know five or six days. It was kind of mm -hmm. nuts. But Starship in proper couldn't play. Instead, um, <clears throat> just their lead singer, Langston, couldn't make it. So he, or Benny, who's kind of the band leader, not kind of, he, I, I think he's the band leader. They could quote me differently. Mm -hmm. But he asked players from Beauty Slap, which is this like funk electronic group. They've been playing around Pittsburgh and beyond for years now, and they're incredible. And they were closing out the night. Me... So they had a horn section, and then he asked a bunch of friends, which included Benji, uh, Sierra, or not Sierra, sorry, um, our friend Chloe, and all of these people to be a part of this, like Starship Mantis's Galactic Ambassadors. Mm. And that's when we played together. It was more of a super group, yeah, rather than me actually like playing in collaboration with them. What was them. the sound of, like of that? He just wrote a bunch of like funk tunes that mm -hmm. were well, not a bunch, but like five funk tunes, <laughs> really, really cool and really tight. Um, and it was great because the energy of that room was incredible. Everyone was just there to see live local music. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't the first time that I've worked with Benny or, or the Starship guys. I haven't ever, like, we haven't played together really since. I did play at the Wilkins Block Party recently, which is mm -hmm. a, a local music festival, where we did a sort of similar concept, but the musicians were a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... A little bit of a different note. Mm -hmm. What was it like uh, performing? If you guys don't know, he does have a new music video out, Jaguar. Is, That's right. Is that the song? Of That's the, the song. Okay. Mm -hmm. The song is Jaguar. It's really cool. They follow him through the streets of Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's downtown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's super sweet. So what was it like playing uh, on like on the music video, having someone like follow your movements? And, <laughs> Like, were you playing the whole time, too? Like, um, what was that like? I was miming it, mostly. Okay, that's, that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. I couldn't tell. Yeah, just, which is like, perfect. Yeah, like, okay. I'm, I was hoping most people couldn't tell, but... Because mm -hmm. so everyone's cool like, oh, you're, you're like, like running, and like, yeah. weren't you exhausted? I'm like, yes, I was. I was out of breath. I actually couldn't blow through my instrument. Mm -hmm. um, but I tried to play through a couple of times. Like, there were a couple of moments where I actually made noise, mm -hmm. just to, like, pretend, like... Or to further pretend like I'm playing... But yeah. I didn't play the whole time. I probably played like 5% of the whole video. Mm -hmm. um, conceptually, it was super cool to just get... So Benton, who's this incredible videographer, um, has started to do a lot of local work around mm -hmm. here. Yeah, Benton's... 
been a, like all over the place yeah. lately. I've I've heard his name and seen his work lately a lot. He is awesome. You should have mm-hmm. him on the podcast. Too. We, we <laughs> we're planning on it. Him and Zach Zachary Rudder. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. planning on both of them because he does the mm-hmm. what the studio friendship sessions. Yeah, they do the studio friendship sessions together, and they do a phenomenal job with that. So Benton approached me. Um, I'm not even sure how long ago at this point. It was at least a month ago. But he's like, hey, I want. I have this video concept where I really want to just like follow you around single cam with a saxophone. I'm like, that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. About two days before that, I'm like, hey, um, can we make this a music video? I'm just going to send you a song and like hopefully we could just make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, he listened to it, I think, the day of. I might not even, it might not have been two days. It might have been like one night mm-hmm. beforehand. So he listened to it in the morning. He's like, I, I got a general idea. We met in that alleyway where the first shot was. Yeah. And we're like, all right, let's see how this works. He had a um, like a pathway in mind, so he knew where he was gonna go camera wise. I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna press play at the same time as you on my phone. I'm gonna put these on my headphones, and we're just gonna go. Uh, the running part was my only real add to, I guess, like the director vision. Because I was, or he was like, I don't know what to do with these spaces where you're not playing. I'm like, I'm just going to run. <laughs> He's like, all right, that's cool. And he would follow me with a steady cam, And that was from start to finish less than an hour. Okay. So all the way through. It was yeah. one take that like it just worked out so really if you well. guys need music videos reach out to Benton. Is what, yeah. That's yeah. what he's saying. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. How was it working with him? Ah, uh, he's awesome. He's just like a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, really just like he he knows what he's doing he loves to like it's cool because creatively he gives you a lot of uh space mm-hmm. but at the same time he also just has so like he has such nice equipment and he really knows what he's doing with yeah. it so like as like a cinematographer he's always got like the right eye for everything mm-hmm. so i don't even have to worry about what things look like yeah. you know i i'm fully confident in what he would do that's all that's really cool then what's it like being a part of the attic music group because recently we did have drew on the Mm -hmm. podcast he talked a little bit about it and he was very insightful um really cool guy to talk to uh so what's it like working with drew and being a part of the attic so drew is one of my best friends and him myself and caleb who's the director caleb lombardi yeah caleb lombardi caleb and i sort of started this and and drew is definitely one of the one of the inceptors Mm -hmm. so the three of us were just like working together for a while in our like in literally in my attic and we weren't oh so this is your attic yeah yeah caleb and i live together okay so (laughs) caleb started the studio by basically just deciding that we weren't using our attic space at all there were a bunch of boxes there Mm -hmm. so he decided this is a good space to make a studio and once that once we had the studio in operation, we just started recording with our friends and just playing and kind of using it as a mini rehearsal space. Mm-hmm. And Drew came in and brought a bunch of equipment, audio equipment, and um, and also instruments. So we had like a fully functioning studio. And like it's weird to think of like what's it like working with the attic. Like we just like we just yeah, started we doing it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just started doing what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and put it under an official umbrella, basically. So yeah. uh, Caleb and Drew wanted to be music producers. I mean, our music producers, but wanted to work on a deeper level with different artists, mm-hmm. and especially in Pittsburgh, where you see they see a lot of talent. So 
this was their avenue to do that. Um, all of us like to do recordings and, and just be recording artists. And sometimes someone needs a saxophone solo for a recording. They just hit me up to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I recorded my whole album in my attic, which is great because, honestly, <laughs> besides the costs, it's just super nice to, when I was doing the recording sessions, just, like, wake up get my sack set up and go upstairs. <laughs> like that was it. Like I, I could start recording. Yeah. And also it's been a huge learning experience as far as like being a recording engineer. Um, I wouldn't consider myself an engineer or a producer, but there's plenty of these kind of hard skills that I had to learn along the way just to kind of survive in the, in recording. What, what has been the toughest obstacle confronted for either you personally or the attic group in general? I, I think we have trouble because we do so much stuff for fun mm-hmm. that uh, our trouble right now is figuring out and we have confidence, I guess, in our abilities, but we have trouble figuring out how we're going to create a sustainable like lifestyle out of this because mm-hmm. all of us are working professional musicians, so we all make money other ways. And then we when we get together as the addict, we don't do it for the prospect of like getting paid, we do it because A, we love it, and B, because we see potential. So we're investing in the work mm-hmm. that we're doing. I think the toughest thing is not seeing the immediate returns yep. and like putting in tons and tons of hours and time and getting like great products out of it, things that we're proud of. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like as we get busier, and to be honest, the attic has just like given all of us more and more opportunities to work outside of the attic too. Mm-hmm. And like within the umbrella, we get to do like the Wolfie's residency that we were talking about a little bit. Yeah, and Wolfie's we, downtown. Yeah, yeah, Wolfie's downtown, where the attic we are hosting a residency that right now we are the musicians for the residency. Uh, every Tuesday, seven to nine, Wolfie's Pub downtown on Forbes Ave. Um, but the idea is to get other musicians involved and and other stable bands to just give them the chance to have a residency and have a steady gig and trying to develop that sort of culture downtown mm-hmm. where you have live music that you can hear from pretty much anywhere in a certain area of it and kind of like Broadway on Nash in Nashville or um, Bourbon Street in New Orleans yeah. where when you walk around it's just live music everywhere. I think we need that. I think we need that too. I do. So what are your thoughts on on the Pittsburgh music scene and the future of it? There's a lot of people who are really down about what happens in Pittsburgh because they don't, like, they can be working for, you know, years and not see any true growth or or any, like, outcome. And that's not necessarily their fault. There's just not really an infrastructure for music industry in this city. Mm -hmm. So we... I'm really hopeful, and that's, like, the Attic Music Group, our bigger mantra is uniting Pittsburgh music, mm-hmm. because what we're trying to do is, is fill in some of the gaps between the musicians and artists who are talented, hardworking, and should be, like, working consistently, and even in Pittsburgh, which is a smaller market, and the people like the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust or... Um, Kevin Sapner with James Street Promotions and like connecting 
some of these dots from the music scene to the people who can create opportunities for the people in the music scene and thus develop sort of a fledgling music industry to the point where um, hopefully more people are starting to come into Pittsburgh because they're interested Mm -hmm. in what's happening and they see the talent and we can start sort of growing the more than just a Pittsburgh music scene, but a Pittsburgh music industry. Mm-hmm. And come into Pittsburgh and stay. Mm-hmm. Stay, too. Yeah. I, I've been exactly. hearing that a lot of people do leave Pittsburgh. A lot of people leave because, mm-hmm. especially as a creative, there's markets in bigger cities like New York, Chicago, L.A., mm-hmm. Austin, where... You know, you can grind, or there's no guarantee you're going to make anything of yourself or anything like that, but you can grind and the prospects are there. They're actually literally there. Like, Mm -hmm. there are people of the music industry, producers, um, agents, managers that seek out and are looking actively for the next big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only that, you get to network with other musicians who are working actively. Um, And so, because... People in Pittsburgh don't feel that even if they do those things that they can grow out of that, they'll move. Okay. So what are your thoughts then on the new lagoon that they're putting in the North Shore? (laughs) I mean, to be honest, I think it's kind of cool looking from Mm -hmm. the render. I don't really know what that's going to do. Like, I don't... Do you know more about that? All I know is that they're probably going to do it. I, I... Might know just as much as you. the The reason I brought up the lagoon and I, how I'm connecting this to uh, the entertainment is infrastructure creates growth and mm-hmm. creates excitement in the city. So if we have this big lagoon coming in the North Shore, that is exciting to look at, exciting to be around. I think there's an opportunity for musicians to get involved with the opening of it. And I would say, going forward, see how the music, like the Attic Music Group, could be a part of the the opening of it. Do you know? Do you yeah. get what, do you get what yeah. I'm saying now? I'm, I, it's it's a very vague connection of the dots, <laughs> but I think I'm connecting something here. So I think our goal in general is just to be the connecting piece for like if there's this big, you know, it's it's going to be a big shift in the literal geography of the north shore exactly so Mm -hmm. like if that that big shift is also going to draw tourism then like how do we make it so that uh not only creatives are involved like the art Mm -hmm. scene gets something out of it the music scene gets out of it uh there's something for the dancers locals too yeah and and absolutely the locals get Mm -hmm. something out of it too but to develop something where people are coming to pittsburgh for more than just watching the pens or, or watching the Steelers. More than you know? just food, beer, and sports. Yeah. <laughs> we have much more than that here in Pittsburgh. There is a lot yeah. more than that here. Mm-hmm. And there's so many cool, like, little chunks of creativity here and there yes. that, mm-hmm. like, are just either disjointed or just feel marginalized. I, I think that was a good way to put it, disjointed. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's kind of, like... They know of each other, but not everything's mm-hmm. connected. And we need more bridges. Yeah, we, need <laughs> we have more plenty bridges. of bridges, but we need way more bridges. To yeah, we need these other. metaphorical bridges. Exactly. Yeah, yes. not the crumbling ones that we have now. <laughs> We're gonna do a little thought experiment. Sure. Okay. I want you to think of all the objects you own. 
your glasses, your really cool shoes you're wearing, <laughs> um, our matching shirts. Um, just the ones that I own in this room? No, no. Every, <laughs> I did just pick three things that I own in this room. But, like, I mean everything you own. And I want you to think of – so if if you could – hold on to one material object for the rest of your life, but release yourself of all other material objects, what would that one object be? Now, you can give two answers. You can give a practical answer, and you can give an impractical answer. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm cheating, <laughs> because I would just bring my saxophone. Okay, no, that, why is that cheating? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, like they, for for both answers. No, for at least the the impractical, impractical one. Okay, because you know if I was playing my saxophone forever and ever and didn't have to worry about anything else, I think I'm in good shape. Yeah. So no, that that seems like a great answer. Um, I guess is it one object or can it be an object with like infinite stuff in it? Like you ever see Jimmy Neutron? I have like a box that he had that you can just like put anything in and like, or was that was that like Fairly Odd Parents? I'm actually maybe mixing up my Nickelodeon cartoons, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like a box where you can put like it just almost like a a black hole. I want to say that's Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. Okay. Where you can just literally put anything in there mm-hmm. and just take it with you and just have like your whole life. Oh, and he pulls out. them out. Yeah, 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 that is Jimmy Neutron. Oh, that's cheating. Yeah, yeah that's cheating, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you'd put everything in this box. Yeah, I just put everything out. I would ever need, like in like unlimited supply of food or like access to food and like some sort of well, material objects, not your needs. Oh, oh. So these are things you don't necessarily need, but you kind of want. Okay. Your, your, your wants and desires. Okay. Yeah, then I was cheating. <laughs> yeah. oh. I'm not sure yet. I want to th- say that it's going to be something more, it's still like less practical even. Like something that would like spark inspiration, you know? Mm-hmm. I just, I'm such a like, like a spreadsheet person. Mm-hmm. Like I, I spent a lot of time organizing myself and, and just figuring out how my life would go with the idea of not having structure, but just yeah. like having any one thing that I would ever want. Just like, I don't know. Oh, I want to say it's like a day planner, but like that's not real. I would never <laughs> and just you don't have a pencil. A day so. No, no yeah. pencil. Just like a page, a blank page to stare <laughs> at forever. I don't know. Maybe a pocket cloud. Some people say phone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely not my phone. No? No way. If I could remove myself from my phone, I would do that in a heartbeat. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I uh I do that on accident. I've I've probably broken fifteen phones in the past three and a half years. Fifteen? Alright, that was an exaggeration. Eleven. But still that's not that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad with objects. Oh my god. I mean, so that forces you not to have Well, I I will go like to it hasn't happened within the past like 6 months, but mm-hmm. I've gone like 2 weeks, a month at a time without my phone. And I can still do everything I've done before. I still connect with people. I still do everything. You have a laptop? I have a laptop. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't need our phone. But it definitely makes our life a lot easier. There's a lot of simple things I can do now because of my phone. I guess my wish to not have that would just be it's sort of relieving because I remember a life in, 
when I didn't have my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, when oh, I was, like, really you? young. I mean, uh, I probably got a phone at, I want to say 13. Yeah, I think I got mine at 12, 13. Yeah, 12 or 13. It was a flip phone. So how crazy is it now that these kids are getting their phones at, like, 4? Well, they've got the infinite, like, knowledge base of the universe at the their fingertips since mm-hmm. they're children, like, literally. <laughs> There's never going to be a point in time where someone who doesn't know something doesn't have the resources to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this generation is, like, they're fed too much information and then it's just hard to digest instead yeah. of like, just like, Oh, everyone's just like on their phones all the time. I think it's just like, there's, there's, it's harder to create direction without it now. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your podcast? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I actually, I just recently found out within the past week that you had one and I thought it was really cool. Uh, that you took that journey and you you see it as like a side gig oh yeah somewhere yeah yeah it's like me and my podcast partner jamie uh who's an incredible visual artist and painter um we would i would just like get off of work um i work at a marketing company also uh part-time uh over in the north shore and she lived in lawrenceville so i'd like get off work at whatever time and she'd be painting in her studio in her house I'd be like, hey, want to hang out for a second? I'm going, I'm on my way back home to Highland Park. And she, so we would literally just like sit there and talk for like, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we would do this pretty regularly. Like recording it or just? No, no, okay, we would just cool. chat. And That's she, cool. like, but we're both creatives, you know. Mm-hmm. But we also both love the process of it. Like what it means or what the individual steps are to getting from, you know, have creating a song all the way through to recording, mixing, mastering an album, you know, or what, or like the spark of inspiration for her. But then there were other things, the things that you, that like people don't really know that artists go through, like having to deal with copyright issues and having to deal with um, like self-promotion and not knowing how to work around the idea that you are a like you have to promote your own worth and like people don't necessarily inherently see your value. There's a bunch of these little topics that we would talk about. And I was like, Hey, you want to like start recording these? Like, you know, yeah. like we talk about this anyway. And now it's become a lot more like an avenue to get to chat with people that are also creatives, mm-hmm. similarly to your podcast, um, about more their process and the things that people like, Let's say you are a, like our latest podcast episode was with a girl named Marty, or her name's Martela. Martela, she went to Duquesne. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know her? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Great person. And amazing uh, artist, but her makeup art is phenomenal. Her makeup art is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I knew her from. Uh, There was a project that a friend of mine was doing, and she actually did my makeup, and Mm -hmm. I met her through that. But just talking to her about, like, the things that... Because you just see the final product. You see, like, this is the photo with dope makeup. Mm -hmm. But you don't necessarily see everything that happens beforehand. Like, what the prep is like, um, what it's like to deal with, like, your social media presence when your entire, like... When a lot of your work is given to you and comes from being active on social media and what that means as an artist. And that's actually a pretty like common thing because artists more and more these days have a requirement almost to have social media. 
And so that was just like one of the things that people that I like, that's not necessarily something I would know mm-hmm. or like I wouldn't think of right away, even though I'm experiencing it too. And it's cool to just like talk through it with another creative. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jamie, my podcast partner calls it her side, side, side project because she's, you know, a hardworking painter and mm-hmm. also has a couple of other jobs. So Okay, that's cool. I uh so I'm going to ask you a, a few quick questions. Mm-hmm. Uh you can give long answers or you can give quick answers. It's up to you. Sure. So, your favorite record? My favorite record is Oh god, that's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. For a long time it was Justin Timberlake's 2020 Experience. And now I think it's Braxton Cook's No Doubt. Okay, No Doubt. Favorite book to to read while in a hammock? I really enjoy fantasy books um, and some sci-fi. So mm-hmm. I would probably pick like an Asimov book that I haven't read yet. I like his Foundation series and I haven't read all of it. I've read like the first two. So I'd probably just go in on that. Your... Favorite local to collaborate with? Probably Benny Rossman from Starship Manus. Mostly because he's such a hardworking dude. And, like, all, like, almost to his detriment, he always makes it easy for me. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, like, give me some of that pressure. Because it's, <laughs> like, I see you working so hard all the time. But, like, I just, I love working with him. I love hard, working with hardworking dudes. Mm-hmm. Could you say what rawness of reality means to you? means I guess the the truth in what we see okay I I, I see truth I guess like <laughs> okay. that's, that's if you say raw and what's real like just something that's unbent unmoved feral cat the truth's here <laughs> <laughs> the truth's here and that makes me out to an oracle that would be cool though I'm not very much not, but <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine a character like that, maybe an animated series. I could see that, yeah. yeah. For, okay, the truth is here. All right, excellent. It was, it was great having you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Thanks yeah. for asking me to do this. Anything coming up in your life that you want uh, the listeners to know about? Um, come through June 1st. Like, when I tell you, and I am I have so much trouble with self-promotion, but when I tell you that, like, this show is going to be historic... I am, like, actually saying, that, like, I feel it, you know, um, because it's local Pittsburgh. Um, there was a show like that with Benji and Isaiah Small and Clara Kent recently in February in at the Mr. Small's Theater that was all local acts. But the idea of, like, keeping or making local music that a lot of people come through to and, like, really the local support is so important um, to anyone, please support local art, local music, local dance, local creatives. Um, June 1st is the album release, the double album release for Feral Cat and for Starship Mantis. Um, both my group and Starship Mantis are super excited. I don't think we have much else going on beforehand yeah. because this is, a, this is a doozy of a show. So. so Mr. Small's Theater, June 1st, Starship Mantis, Feral Cat, and also every Tuesday, go to Wolfie's Pub downtown. You can see the Attic Music Group playing live music. Live music, people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Come through. Come say hi, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
Please don't forget to check out Roger Rafael Romero. And remember, he'll be playing June 1st at Mr. Small's Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you're around, definitely need to see it. I enjoyed speaking with Roger, and I hope you enjoyed listening. If you enjoy listening, please subscribe and rate our channel five stars. Our episodes can only get better from here. And a big thank you to Mike Campus, our production manager, and Joe Cal on The Beats. And remember, stay raw with reality.